six. Last week when we finished our chapter seven, I'm sorry, um, Zechariah chapter seven, we, we finished Zechariah chapter six last week. And, and with that, we also finished the eight visions that this young prophet Zechariah um, had that one night. It was all in one night. That night was February 15th, 519 B.C. And, and I love the fact that, that throughout God's word, he gives us in certain portions exact dates. And, and I don't know what they mean to you, but for me, they're, they're significant because I know that in our lives there are certain dates that, that stick out to us. And, and for God to say it was on this time at in this particular year, to me, it just speaks a lot that God is into the details. He knows every day of our lives. He knows everything that's going on. And so on February 15th at 519 B.C., Zechariah came on the scene, or, or he had that, that vision on that night, but he came on the scene somewhere around November of two, uh, of. I was going to say 2000, um, of, of 520 B.C. So, so he, he had come on the scene when, when the prophet Haggai was already ministering, and Haggai was only there for about three months. So in the middle of his ministry, this young man comes in. I, I'm figuring Haggai was probably a little older, an older prophet, and this young prophet comes in, and he is ready to, to run. He is ready to do what God has called him to do. And so after Haggai was done with his last message on December 18th, 520 B.C., the Lord raised up this young prophet, Zechariah, to take his place. And the Lord showed him the past, present, and future of the nation of Israel. And again, we need to remember that both of these prophets were instrumental in, in, in how God wanted to get his people going again. They had just come back from, from captivity. They had been back in Jerusalem for, several, for, for a few years, um, for several years. They had started the work of rebuilding the temple, the altar, all of those things. They put it aside for about 16 years. And then these two guys show up. And the Lord uses them to get them motivated back again. If you read back in Ezra chapter 5 when we covered it last year sometime, there's just an amazing portion of how God can use these people to get people motivated to do the work. And so we're in Zechariah chapter 7. Let's read verse 1 to verse 7, and then we'll go on to the rest a little later. It says, Now, in the fourth year of King Darius, it came to pass that the word of the Lord came to Zechariah. On the fourth day of the ninth month of uh, the ninth month uh, Kislev, when the people sent Sherazar and Rajemalek and his men to the house of God to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of the Lord and the prophets, saying, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as, we have, as I have done uh, for, for so many years? Then the word of the Lord came 
the, the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Say to all the people of the land and to the priests, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and seventh month, during the seventy years, did you really fast for me? For me? When you ate or when you eat and when you drink, do you not eat and drink for yourselves? Should you not have obeyed the words which the prophets proclaimed through the former prophets? Which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets. When Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabited and prosperous, and the south and the lowlands were inhabited. And so let's, let's camp out here for a little bit. So as we go back to verse 1, um, it's been almost two years, two years since we had heard from Zechariah. Now, I know last week we heard from him, but now we get a new date here. In, in other words, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah on December 7th, 518 B.C. That, that is to say that from last week, when we were reading and finishing up the eight visions, to today, to this portion, 22 months have passed. And so we haven't heard from this guy for, for 22 months. Now, that, that vision, as I shared earlier, was on February 15th, the year before. So, so in these 22 months that have elapsed, from the crowning of Joshua, as we looked last week, this, this symbolic um, thing that was going to take place, introducing the Messiah that would come eventually. He does this to, to Joshua. And, and now that the, the rebuilding of the temple is, is, is kind of continuing on, they have at least another three years before they will finish the temple and complete it and dedicate it. So in this time frame, again, these 22 months have, have lapsed, have, have gone by, and we could, we could believe or we should believe or surmise that in that time frame, Zechariah was still there on the scene doing whatever had to be done. For me, as I'm looking at this, as a pastor, as a leader of a, of a church, if this guy is there, he's doing things to minister to the people. He's not just on vacation. He's not just not doing anything. God has called him to minister to these people, to speak to these people. But he didn't have a word from the Lord as we're going to see here. So he was going about his business, taking care of business in those 22 months. He wasn't just sitting around doing nothing. I can guarantee you he's probably encouraging the people in the work that was going on in the Lord. Um, again, doing, doing the, the task of a prophet or, or even a priest. He's not a priest, but doing that kind of work of, of a minister. And so it says in verse 2, when the people sent these two guys <laughs> uh, and his men to the house of the Lord, to pray before the Lord and to ask the priests who were in the house of, of the Lord of hosts and the prophets saying, should we weep or should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Now, to better understand what, what he is saying in verse 2, but I want to verse, read verse 2 and, 
and verse 3 in the Amplified and also in, in the New Living Translation. Because this is what's going on here. It kind of gives us a little bit more detail of where these guys came from. In, in my version, it, doesn't, it just says when these people. But it says this in the Amplified. Now, the people of Bethel had sent Sherazar and Regimolik uh, and their men to pray and entreat the favor of the Lord and to speak to the priest in the house of the Lord of hosts and to the prophets, saying, Now I, now that I have returned from exile, shall I weep in the fifth month, separating myself as I have done so uh, done these these so many years in Babylon, as I did all these things in Babylon. Now I'm paraphrasing there. But the New Living Translation, it says, the people of Bethel sent Sherazar and Regimolek, changes his name every time, um, along with their attendants to seek the Lord's favor. Then they asked, they were to ask this question of the prophets and the priests uh, at the temple of the, the Lord of Heaven's army, should we continue to mourn and fast each summer on the anniversary of the temple's destruction as we have uh, done for so many years? And so for, for nearly two years after the night visions and halfway through the, the, this period that the temple is being rebuilt, the Lord gave Zechariah some messages to share with this delegation that has come. It mentions two people that have come. Apparently, they have come from, from Babylon, but they were in Bethel. And so Bethel was, was a city about 12 miles north of where Jerusalem sits, and they had been there. And Bethel used to be the place of worship back in the day, uh, close to Shiloh, but that was all in the northern kingdom. And so they had come back through Bethel, they had hung out through Bethel, and they have come, and this, this delegation, this envoy, if you will, they have come to ask this question of Zechariah or the priest and the, and, and the prophets. So at this time, as we're going to look at in these two next, next two chapters, chapter 7 and chapter 8, the Lord gave Zechariah some messages, four in all. Three of the messages were introduced by the clause, the word of the Lord of hosts or the Lord Almighty came to me. The second message is introduced just similarly, but it just says the word of the Lord came again to Zechariah. And, and what I love about this is that, again, this young man, after two years of not having anything from the Lord, still doing the work that God has called him to do, now God has given him something specific to share with the people. And again, he is going to be bold enough to step out and to talk about uh, and share what, what the Lord has laid on his heart. So in these three first verses, again, this delegation of Jews have come down and and again these guys apparently their names are foreign uh, where they had probably adopted them or acquired them in Babylon but they have come now down to Jerusalem and they are to ask the question 
And the question will prompt the messages. And so they're here to ask the priest and the prophets, but the Lord gives Zechariah the words to share with these guys. And so, so the question is that these guys who have come down to ask the priest and, uh, and the prophets, at the end of verse 3 it says, Should I weep in the fifth month and fast as I have done for so many years? Now, the law of Moses required that every Jew observe one annual fast. And that was on the, the annual Day of Atonement, according to Leviticus 23. Now, of course, people could fast anytime they wanted to. But the, the requirement was that they would fast once, once a year. And this was something that the nation would come together and do together. So to commemorate the events surrounding the destruction of Jerusalem and the temple, four new fasts were kind of brought into the people that added to their religious calendar, if you will. So one was required, but they added three more basically and this is what they were doing when they were in exile. Now, when they were taken away, I could understand them going, you know, God, you know, he had called us to fast on the Day of Atonement, but there's so much that happened for us to get where we're at. Part of it was disobedience on their part. But they were going to commemorate certain events that took place, what made them to leave uh, Jerusalem in the, fir in the first place. One of the fasts was on the 10th month. And that was when Babylon had, had begun to siege the city back in 520, somewhere around there, 500, uh, I mean, way back in the day. Um, did I say 500? Anyways, I think I got my, my dates wrong. Sorry about that. Um, they were a while back. Anyway, so, so they were going to start these new fasts and so on the 10th month when Babylon came and besieged the city another fast the on the fourth month was when the the city walls had been broken through the one on the fifth month was when the temple was was destroyed was burned and then the the the, the fourth fast which would be on the seventh month was when the, the Jewish governor, Gedalia, had been assassinated. And so these things had happened in their lives as they were going to be taken captive, as they were going to be leaving. Now, all of these things that they are commemorating were because of their past, because of their disobedience. All these things had come upon them, that, that, that the Babylonians were coming, that the walls were going to be, get broken through, the temple would be destroyed, and one of their governors would be assassinated. So all these things are, are, are upon them. And so the significant, important, noteworthy question was now that the temple was being be rebuilt. Was it necessary to continue the fast in the fifth month 
to commemorate the burning of the temple. So that's why they're asking their, this question. Okay, we've been fasting for all these years because of the temple. Now that it's being rebuilt, do we still have to fast? It, it, it would be like saying, should we continue to mourn for our past? I know that I'm a new creation in Christ, but should I still dwell on where I've come from? Now, I put it like that because, again, what happened here was because of their disobedience. The temple was destroyed. So they're still remembering all of that. And so as I was thinking about how these guys were remembering their past and kind of still doing some religious duties, if you will, to commemorate something that, that, that God had already moved on from. And it's like us, when, when we come to the Lord, knowing what God has done on our behalf, should we always still continue to live in the past and remember the, the past? Should we feel bad about the past? And I know most, of the, most people would say, well, of course, we should feel bad about the past. But you know what? You can't change the past. It's done. You are a new creation now. But I think so many people, they beat themselves up and they keep themselves from, from moving forward because of their past. And I think oftentimes we disqualify ourselves from being used of God because we continue to look backwards. And it's almost like you're commemorating <laughs> your past life. Now again, don't get me wrong, it's great to share testimony. Some, some of you guys have crazier testimonies than I will ever have. But the fact of the matter is that we all have a testimony from back then. And we can't live back there, and we can't do our religious duties by, by, by living back there. Because these guys were going, okay, so do we still have to like, do what we've been doing for all these years? And it's almost like, but why were you doing them? God never, never required that from you. You're fasting on the fifth month, and he mentions the seventh month here as well as we move on. But they had these four different fasts uh, on top of the Day of Atonement. Uh, I think I, I, I should have added that earlier. But they were still doing stuff that God had never asked them to do. In other words, they were doing religious things that kept them from moving forward because I, I truly believe God had already moved past that. It had been more than 70 years that these Jews had lost the temple. And now it's being rebuilt. And God never told them, hey, while you're in captivity, man, I want you to just continue to feel bad about what happened to you guys. God wanted them to move ahead just like he had moved ahead, because even when he took them out of the land, he, he, it was for a purpose. But he had now brought them back in. And they had been there for over 20-some years, and they were still fasting. And God had never required them to continue doing that. In verse 4, it says, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, Thus says, or thus says, say to all the people of the land and to the priests, when you fasted and mourned 
in the fifth and seventh month. During those 70 years, did you really fast for me? And, and he reiterates that. I love that. For me? You did that for me? Yeah. Because he goes into verse 6 and he says, when you eat and when you drink, do you not do, do you not do, do, do you not eat, man, oh man, and drink for yourselves? The, the, the answer to this delegation's question would not be given until the fourth message when, when he truly just answers this whole thing. Meanwhile, th this first message is a reminder to the people that God warned their fathers through the early prophets that he wanted reality from them. He wanted something real from them, not a ritual. He wanted reality from them. Hosea being one of those prophets of old who had told them what God expected from them. But they were disobedient. Hosea 6.6 6 says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. You see, God had already told them, This is what I expect from you. And so the question from the delegates provided an opportunity, if you will, an occasion to rebuke these self-imposed fasts that they were putting up upon themselves. God had never asked for them, but they had become antiquated or obsolete, if you will, after the first week that they were gone. God never said, hey, I want you to continue to do this. They continued to do it on their own. And so now... God wanted to bless the remnant that was coming back, but they were still doing their religious duties back then. You see, this rebuke was against their empty formalities, I guess, if you will. This, this, this thing that was devoid of any spiritual substance, reality. Because whether they fasted or they feasted, they were not doing it for the Lord. They were doing it for themselves. It was all a show. <laughs> Outwardly, they were doing all this stuff. And, and I love the fact that, again, as, as they, they come to ask this question, and as Zechariah answers their question, he, he basically asks them a question as well. He's going to answer their question, but he asks them a question first. He, he asks this these questions of all the people, not just the delegation that had come, but the, the people and the priests that were there already because they probably were keeping these fasts as well. And I love the way he does this to them because he hits them up, basically, <laughs> in verse 5, where, where he says, When you fasted and mourned, In the fifth and seventh month, during the, the 70 years, did you really fast for me? For me? It's almost like that, that little, like, really? For me. You say you did, but it wasn't for me. I never asked for you to, do, to give me that. And, and I love the fact that God calls them out on this. Because I think oftentimes God calls us out on our religiosity. 
the things that we do that God never said to do. But we think it looks good in front of people. Or it makes us feel really good that these are the things that I'm doing, and God never asked those things of us. Now, God does ask a lot from us. But it should come out of our heart, not because we want to satisfy the people around us. Not because we want to impress the people around us. And that's what these guys were doing. They were continuing in past things that God never asked them to do. And he says, did you really do it for me? Because when you eat and when you drink, don't you do it for yourselves? (laughs) Are you doing it for the Lord or for yourselves, he's asking them. Because when you feast, when things are going good, (laughs) is it really for me or for yourself? It's for yourself. In, In other words, he's challenging them, what's in your heart, truly? What is in your heart? Not what's on the outside. Guys, we can all play a really good game outwardly can't we? Especially those of us who come on Thursday nights. Telling people, oh, you don't come on Thursday night? Oh, yeah, I didn't see you there. I do. And, and, and even a simple little thing like this, right? To say, oh, yeah, I do, but other people don't. It's a small fellowship, but it's just those of us who are more serious. I know none of you guys would ever say something like that. But now you're thinking about it. It's like, why why do I come on Thursday nights? (laughs) Because, again, why why do we do things that we say are for the Lord? And has the Lord ever said, really, you're doing it for me? And he cocks his head a little bit and says, really, for me? Of course, Lord. And it's almost like he just busts us and says, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for everybody else. And, and, and I think that's a, such a humbling thing to hear as we're reading the word that he's, he's talking to these people going, hey, guys, um, you're saying you're putting on a good game. But it's all for yourselves. It's not for me. So let's just call it what it is. And, and I think that that's not a bad place to be where God even challenges us to see where the attitude of our hearts are at. Because, again, even, even in my role as a pastor, <laughs> it's my job. <laughs> it's my job to do this. But at the same time, it's like, Lord, I love what I get to do. But it could become something that is like, well, that's just what I do. That's who I am. Call me Pastor Zeke, man, because I identify as a pastor. That's where my identity is at. And God's going, hey, dude. Don't even go there, man. Don't even have people call you pastor, man. If if that's why you're doing it, then you're doing it for yourself and not for me. And that's where I think, again, he just kind of touches the heart here. Now, now to switch some gears here, but not too much, again, he's talking to the attitude of the heart, but he's also talking about rules and traditions that these people had gotten caught up in. Instead of having just faith, love, and a desire to please him. That's why we should be doing what we do. 
because our hearts are for him because of our love and our faith for him. Now, those people who, who need these kinds of rules and, and, and regulations and, and traditions, I, I would say that these would be even immature Christians or immature people that, that, that need this religious requirement because it, it tells them what to do and they kind of can gauge themselves as to where they're at. As young Christians, they're going, okay, what do I do? What do I do? Just read your word. I know, what, what else do I do? And it's almost like some people are going, give me a list of 10 things to do, and I will come back next week and say, I did all, all of them. What's next? And that's not our Christian life. Our, our Christian life is not, let's check this off, check that off, check that off, check that off. So I'm covering all my bases. He says, no, I just want you to love me. I just want you to spend time with me. I, I just want, want you to please me. I just want you to be obedient because that's what it's going to boil down to in our text here. It just goes back to obedience. That's all he wants for us. So when people say, okay, give me a list of things to do. Well, just be obedient. Okay, to what? Uh, the word of God? Okay, which portion? It's like all of it? Again, it's not that God was against rules and traditions, but he would rather that we do biblical principles and cultivate this personal relationship with him, that, that he would read the word and say, Lord, then change me. Lord, if you're talking to the, the nation of Israel so long ago and you're hitting them up about, did you really do it for me? Lord, have I ever done stuff like that, that you would question my attitude of why I do stuff? That, that's where the, the nitty-gritty comes in, man. That's when all of a sudden you're saying, okay, Lord, it's not about everybody else. It's about me. Because he tells them in verse 7, should you not have obeyed the word which the, which the Lord proclaimed through the former prophets? When Jerusalem and the cities around it were inhabitants, inhabited and prosperous, and the south and the lowlands were inhabitants. You see, it gets all down to obedience. The reason they found themselves in exile in the first place was because of their disobedience. And when we were going through through 1st, 2nd Samuel, 1st, 2nd Kings, and we're looking at all these things that God continues to send prophets upon prophets and priests and people to, to proclaim his name, a lot of the kings were evil. They had gotten to their head. The people were worshiping. The people were doing all these other crazy things, and God kept on warning them, hey, guys, let's turn back here. Hey, I'm, I'm over here. And they're going, yeah, I know you're here, but we got to go over there and go worship all these other things and bring in all these other people and we can have these crazy families going on and stuff like that. And finally, God says enough. Because he challenged them here. He says, instead of doing all your little religious works, you should have just obeyed. You should have just obeyed to what I had asked you to do in the first place. Instead of doing all these religious um, observances, you should have just obeyed me. Because it goes back all the way to Samuel. A couple years ago now when we were in the book of Samuel, 
where, where again, Samuel says to Saul, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices? As in obeying the voice of the Lord, behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to heed than the fat of rams. Guys, that is what he asks of us. He wants obedience from you and I. To do what he has called us to do. Not to go on ahead and say, well, i got to do all these things. Then God will be happy with me. You ain't got to do a thing except obey him. And whatever he calls you to do, you do. It's as simple as that. You don't have to do all these things to try to gain favor from God. You can't do a thing to gain favor from God. Again, in this position, all my studying, all my, all my stuff that I get to go do, they're nothing if I'm not obeying the basic principles of God's word. Myself. Not as a pastor, but as a Christian. Because again, when people you know, are starting to get used and it's a great opportunity to, to, to go do stuff for the Lord, man, you're like, yeah, no, all of a sudden, man, it just becomes what you identify with. And that's who you are. And it's like, God will go, here, let me pull the rug from under you. Then what? You see, these truths about God desiring obedience rather than sacrifice, we see it in the book of Psalms. Psalm 51 is one of those places where, where again, he says, man, I, I'd rather have a, a, a broken and contrite heart. Isaiah kind of, kind of gives that same kind of message in, in, in Isaiah chapter 1 verses 1 through 17. Amazing portion where he's challenging them. And so the so did the prophet Malachi or Micah. Micah 6, 6 and 8. It says, With what shall I come before the Lord and bow myself before the high God? Shall I come before him with burnt offering, offerings, with calves a, a year old? Will the Lord be pleased with a thousand rams, ten thousand rivers of oil? Shall I give my firstborn for my transgression, the first fruit or the, the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Verse 8, he has shown you, O man, what is good and what the Lord requires of you, but to do justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. Guys, that's all he asks from us. He never, he never expects us to do the spectacular, the crazy things that is like, man, Lord, look at what I'm doing for you. Because it reminds me of Matthew chapter 7 at the end where people are going, but Lord, didn't we do all these things in your name? Didn't we cast out demons? Didn't we prophesy? Didn't we do all these things? And he says, man, I never knew you. Why? Because he, he never saw the practical, the simple, and the humble things from those people. That's what he requires of us. Just like Micah says here, to love mercy, or to, to do justly, to love mercy, and to just walk humbly before God. That's all he wants. That's all he asks. Nothing big. These guys had experienced so much. And there was a lot of peace before they were taken exile. And because of that, they forgot who their God was. Things were going good. 
They were being warned, hey, there's judgment coming. Ah, come on. We got the temple right here. God is still on the throne. Yeah, but you're going and doing your own thing. And he has a way of kind of pulling the rug from under us, right? And all of a sudden going, hey, you guys want to go on with your bad selves to go do those things? I'll let you go on your leash. Zechariah wasn't condemning the traditions as such. But he was emphasizing the fact that true spiritual life cannot be turned on and off. There has to be a consistency. You see, we often think that we can turn off our Christianity. And it's like, really? You're a fool. You're a fool to think that. Because God, God never leaves. He never forsakes. I don't care how far you think you can run. He is still there. As the Psalms tells us, man, if you go wherever you go, you will run into him. You have to. That's who he is in our life. In, in, in 1 Corinthians 10, uh, 13, he says, Therefore, whatever, uh, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do it all to the glory of God. So if it's feasting, we should glorify God. And if we're fasting, we should do it to honor him. In other words, the Lord must be the center of our lives and whatever we do. Again, man, he just wants the simple things from us. That's all, he's, that's all he's asking for. Let me move on, verse 8. It says, um, Then the word of the Lord came to Zechariah, saying, Thus says the Lord of hosts, Execute true justice, show mercy and compassion. Everyone to his brother, do not oppose the widow or the fatherless, the alien or the poor. Let none of you plan evil in your heart against his brother. But they refused to heed, shrugged their shoulders, stopped their ears so that they could not hear. Yes, they made their heart like flint, refusing to hear the law and the word which the Lord of hosts had sent by his spirit through the former prophets. Thus, great wrath came from the Lord of hosts. Therefore, it happened that just as he proclaimed, and they could not and they would not hear, so they called out, and he did not, would not listen, says the Lord of hosts. But I scattered them with the whirlwind among all the nations which they had not known. Thus the land became desolate after them, so that no one passed through or returned, for they made the pleasant land desolate. So as he challenges them, why did you do what you're doing? Why are you doing what you're doing? Again, he's doing this, guys, to, to have them remember and repent once again. And I think that's something that we need to do on a daily basis. Remember and repent. Because again, he, he's sharing this message with them. The, the first message was in verse 4 to verse 7. The second message is from verse 8 to verse 14 here. 
and he challenges them again with this message, and he says, hey, why don't you just execute true justice? Why, why, why don't you just show mercy and compassion? Don't oppress the widow. Don't oppress the fatherless, the alien, the poor. Let none of you plan evil in his heart. Isn't that just simple right here? This is what he wants from us. Justice, mercy, compassion. He wants us not to hurt people. Doesn't seem that hard. Why do we do it? <laughs> I was going to say, because we're idiots. No, because you guys are No, because <laughs> we're... Cause, because we're selfish, and, and, and we end up disobeying. And instead of listening to what God has called us to do, he, he says, this is what I want from you. It's simple. But what happened with these people is they refused to heed. They didn't obey. They shrugged their shoulders like, eh, God's, God will forgive us. Not after going, well, he would, but you're going to go through the woodshed. It says they stopped their ears and they put their, 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 you know, their fingers in their ears like a little kid. Nah, 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 nah. I can't hear you. That, that, that's kind of what it seems that they were doing. And, and, and they turned their heart like flint. The word flint, I was looking that up, and in the, uh, in the new, in the King James, flint, is an eminent stone as a diamond, one of the hardest things, one of the hardest materials. And so they turn their hearts like, like, like flint. They, 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 they did all these things, and yet God had told the man, I want you to seek these things, but they did the opposite. Isaiah 117 says, Learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, Plead for the widows. Amos 5.24 says, But let justice run down like water and righteousness like a mighty stream. In James, in the New Testament, it says in verse, chapter 1, verse 26 and 27, If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his own tongue, his tongue, but deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. Pure and undefiled religion before God and the Father is this. Visit orphans, uh, the widows, in their trouble and keep yourself unspotted from the world. Guys, this is what he's asking us to do. We have examples in, in the Old Testament of what people did. God warned them and warned them and they they, they, they did not heed. They shrugged their shoulders. They stopped their ears. Their hearts became hard. And I wish I, I, I could say that, I, man, I've never, heard, I've, never, I've never heard of a Christian doing that. <laughs> but I have. And so many of us, for whatever reason, we can be in that same place. He, he expects us to do justice, to show mercy, to be compassionate not hurt anyone and yet for some reason because we get hurt or because whatever happens in our lives we end up being just like the children of Israel and so again guys 
God has given us these examples that we should take heed. I, I, I think oftentimes the word of God reminds us of where we, we were at and some of the consequences of our lives that resulted because of our past disobedience. And, and, and we suffer cer certain things because of those things and it's hard to get out of that place. And so we continue to disobey because we're going, it's just not working for me. Lord, this Christianity doesn't work for me. And the Lord's not above disciplining his, his people. He will discipline us. The Lord still desires obedience rather than sacrifice. And guys, that will never, ever, ever, ever change. He always wants obedience. Amen. Father, we just thank you and praise you for your word. Thank you, Lord God, that you remind us, Lord God, and you rebuke us at times through your word to remind us of where we're at, Lord. Father, I, I pray, God, that even in this room, the people that are in this room right now, I don't know what they're battling. I don't know what they're going through. I don't know what kind of day or week or month or year they've been having, Lord God, but you do. And Lord, for, for, for my brothers and sisters here who have heard this message, that Lord, we would desire to be obedient. Lord, you never asked us to do the crazy, spectacular things that were so out there. You just called us to do the the practical things, the simple things, the humble things, Lord. That's what you've called us to do. Help us to be obedient in that. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters that you'd help them in that. We do love you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your word that's powerful and reminds us, Lord, just how much you love us, even through the pain. <laughs> we thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand as we sing.